Welcome to Becoming Referrable, the podcast that shows you how to become the kind of advisor people can't stop talking about. I'm Steve Wershing. On this episode, we speak with Chip Munn, who's CEO of Signature Wealth Group. After leaving teaching, Chip joined the financial services profession at age 22, and since then has gone on to build a wealth management enterprise with 10 advisors and over $1.3 billion under management. In addition to running Signature Wealth Strategies, he's also uh, the host of the new podcast, Maximum Advisor. Now, we recorded this episode just a couple weeks after the beginning of the coronavirus crisis and the associated uh, market decline and volatility. So we start our conversation talking with Chip about what he's finding successful in helping coach clients through this difficult time. We talk about how he's keeping a pulse on client feelings by, among other things, convening an unscheduled and virtual version of his client advisory board that he's run for some time. We discuss how he believes we will all be about 20% different in how we approach our professions after this crisis is over. Chip reviews with us his eight principles for making a successful advisory business. And stay through to the end, where Chip talks about how he believes this market can be a huge opportunity for building business and attracting referrals. There are lots of great tips on how to become a thriving advisory firm, even in this difficult market. And so here now is our conversation with Chip Munn. Chip Munn, welcome to the Becoming Referrable podcast. Thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. So, I, 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 we, Julie and I want to ask you a whole bunch about Maximum Advisor and about Signature and about all mm-hmm. all of your stuff. But you know, we're we're doing we're recording this um, after uh, the first week of the big market correction, and um, you know, we're all quarantined at home. So we'd like to start out actually by talking a little bit about um, how you are adapting to this, because I think sharing that experience would be valuable. And you've, you've got, uh, if you want to tell us a little bit about your network, I know you have uh, about 10 or so offices, uh, is, if that's right. And um, so how, how, are, how are you adapting to this new environment and what kinds of interesting things are you finding that are working for you and for clients? Well, it's been, uh, for all of us, it's been a, um, a time of transition, right? Not only for uh, us in learning how to do business, uh, but also, or, or how to do business in this, this environment, but also uh, for our clients. And so one of the, the toughest things I've found for our advisors, so we have, as you mentioned, we have 10 offices throughout North and South Carolina and uh, Kentucky and the yeah, as I talk to advisors, you know, the really the toughest thing this first week has been balancing the things that you need to know or or um, skills that you need to run in this environment while also being there for clients uh, in a, a more enhanced way. Uh, you know, one of the things that we've had a good experience with this week in taking our operation completely virtual is that you know, having multiple offices, we've had to experiment and figure out things like uh, the technology component, how to develop a virtual culture and to work with, uh, yeah, I'm a big believer in Dan Sullivan and strategic coaches concept of unique ability. And so one of the things that we decided early on was we wanted to be able to have virtual folks who were incredibly good at what they 
do. And we're based in Florence, South Carolina. And uh, there aren't a lot of people. I joke that Florence is a good place to be from. There aren't a lot of people who are um, the best in their field, uh, with the exception probably in our case of medicine, which is, is good right now, um, who are actively looking to move. You know, folks want to be in a bigger uh, place and we want to be able to work with the best. And so uh, we have uh, really made a commitment to that uh, over the last couple of years. And it's, it's been to our benefit in the last week in that, um, you know, we're, we're really comfortable with tools like Zoom. Uh, we moved about eight months ago to a VOIP phone system. So right now our folks have their office phones at their desk. If a client were to call our office, I mean, it literally is uh, while we are kind of dislocated and, and dispersed, uh, operationally, we've been able to to operate pretty well. Um, you know, it's, it's been a fairly seamless transition, but it's because we already, you know, we already had to to figure a lot of it out, and so that's been um, that's been the biggest thing. But managing that plus uh, also again keeping up with, you know, I'm uh, not only do I do what I do with our advisors and, and signature. But yeah, you know, I still have clients, and so dealing with communicating to them and managing their emotions and expectations has been. I think that's the the tough balance for a lot of us. I'm interested in um, your perspective on what you will carry forward from this. I I was uh, playing around with some uh, thing that just wording the other day for a post, and I had sort of come up with this idea that you know, working from home isn't just about doing the same things from a different location. It's actually causing us to work a little differently and to think a little differently. So do you see some fundamental changes that you might carry forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, I've developed uh, recently kind of the theory that uh, coming out of this time, we're going to be what I call 20% different. I I think that, you know, we're going to see a lot of people who have experienced virtual work that may want to, I don't think that they're going to all of a sudden quit wanting to come into the office necessarily. They may want to come in 20% less. Uh, I think that there may be folks who uh, right now are really amping up their content creation by a hundred percent. And when I think as, as human, as human nature for people to regress back to what they're comfortable with, but I don't think that we're going to go all the way back. I, I think that most people are going to be, again, in, in my way of thinking, 20% different when we come out. I, I think that if people have doubled their content creation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and figured but, out how to do that at a busy time, right? It, it, we certainly have. Yeah. So, but, you know, for a lot of folks, I think you may go from, you know, to 200%, you may come back to 120. So I, I think there are going to be a lot of things as we, kind of come out of this time, we'll have learned to work a lot more efficiently. I think that's one of the things that we've, we've learned uh, so far in the last week is that when you're working in this environment, you can work 16 hours in an eight hour day, or, or you can work 24 hours in a 16 hour day. It, it seems and it feels like, um, you know, for, for all of us, we're working uh, harder at home than we did going into the office. Absolutely. And so, I think that that's, um, you know, some of the things that we're learning 
from a, a capability standpoint are definitely going to be things that carry over. What, what's, what, what will be interesting is the, how it changes people's level of comfort with things. So, um, so I'm, I'm on the board of a school of music and dance and, and we, I, I had tried to persuade, um, you know, the school to take a look into more virtual instruction um, a year or two ago. And, you know, all of the music teachers were like, nope, nope, nope. We have to, we have to be right there. We have to be able to physically correct our student, you know, their positioning and their setup. And of course now 78% of those teachers are teaching virtually. Now you look brilliant. Now, like I, yeah, it doesn't sound so crazy now, does it? But, um, uh, but you know, we, when we, on the retail side, you know, when, when working with our clients, you know, we had constructed, we're working on a new model that, that, and, and from the get go, we had put virtual meetings in as part of that because, you know, we want to do a larger number of shorter meetings so that we don't overwhelm clients. And so we planned on doing it, uh, on zoom right from the get go. But it, you know, I, I know a lot of advisors and a lot of even clients are resistant to that. It will be interesting to see. Once they get familiar with it out of necessity, you know, how many clients would be a lot more interested in meeting face to face over the internet as opposed to in person, especially like in high traffic areas to areas that are difficult to get around or if, you know, if they're at a distance from their advisor, like, you know, they're, they have an advisor in New York, but they're wintering in, in uh, Florida or something. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I, I think there'll be a lot of people who they wouldn't have made this change. They didn't want to, and, and the hardest thing for most people, right, in any kind of behavior management, you know, the journey of a thousand miles is the first step, and a lot of people are being forced to take that first step now, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, Zoom or FaceTime or, you know, they're having to get comfortable, and I think that, you know, what I believe, you know, about 40% of my clients don't live in my town as it is. So we've done a fair amount uh, of this kind of thing before, but we have plenty of clients who didn't, who didn't want to take advantage of it, who weren't comfortable with it. And you know, you're in a situation now, whether it's via FaceTime or, or Zoom or any of these technologies, if you want to see your family, you've got to get on a screen. Uh, it, it's, it's just an unprecedented kind of interesting time. And I think that once Again, I think you'll be twenty percent different. You, you'll have a a chunk of people who all of a sudden they've tried it. It wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be, or they they learned. Um, depending on how long you know things last, the more comfortable people will get with it. And I, I think that we'll see a lot more uh, of this kind of thing, whether it's one on one meetings, or you know one of the things that we're going to be doing is you know we have a client advisory board. I was just going to ask you about that. Yeah, tell us about that. That's interesting. Uh, something that that you're an expert in, and you know we're going to be taking our client advisory board uh, and using Zoom now to hold our client advisory board meeting, kind of one that's almost uh, emergency. Really, isn't the right term, but an, an unscheduled advisory board meeting to talk to them about how we can best support our clients uh, in, in our communities even yeah. uh, in this time. And so I think that, uh, again, not something we would have done, but I, th I think a lot of folks are more comfortable with it. And, and frankly, right now it's all we've got. And yeah. Yeah. there is yeah. comfort 
to see in people. Well, and, yeah. and there's also, you know, like you said, it's an unscheduled meeting. So, you know, we're, we're contacting all of our clients to suggest to them that they do. You know, some of them had advisory board meetings that were coming up in the next month. And, and but we're calling all of them saying, look, even if you even if you hadn't scheduled it, um, you should give it some thought because, you know, getting their feedback on how you're doing, um, what's most on their mind so you can re respond to it. I, I think that's it's a that's a it's a great thing. I'm glad to hear you're pursuing it. I think that's going to be really important. Um, Chip, uh, I'm sorry, Julie, go ahead. No, no, I, it, I want you to finish your thought because I was actually going to pivot just into a different No, go ahead. Topic. I'm all done. Well, I, I, I wanted, Chip, to ask you about uh, your podcast and the work that you're doing. You've got the Maximum Advisor. So first of all, I mean, it's interesting that you are – you know, an industry participant doing a podcast for the industry, right? As, as, as an advisor, I'd love to hear a bit about your uh, path there and your decision and, and what it means in your mind to be a maximum advisor. Sure. Well, my background's in teaching. So uh, I, maybe I was supposed to get in this a little bit earlier, but I was a sixth grade teacher. So mm -hmm. I taught uh, school for a year. So I usually joke that I was teacher for a year, which if you say it really fast, <laughs> right. <laughs> a year. And, uh, grade. and I've always, and my, part of the reason that I ended up in education was because my mom taught kindergarten for 30 years. And so education has always been something that was really uh, important to me. Uh, and as kind of over time. So I've been in, in uh, financial services for 22 years. Uh, and so the, over time, one of the things that was important to me was teaching younger people. I got into the business, I was 22 and a half or so, young person, school teacher background, probably had no business. Uh, you know, my manager at the time had no business probably hiring me. And so it's been important for me to try to find ways to, to help grow uh, younger advisors and, and to help them. And then as that has kind of taken shape over time, so we've had a, a handful of younger advisors uh, over the years. We have in kind of our offices now uh, seven, I, I think, who are under the age of, so we have as many advisors in our firm under the age of 40 as over. Or, or pretty close. And so it's always been important to me to bring along folks because somebody did it for me. And I think that our industry has had a, a problem, Julie, especially since, you know, 08. And, and we may see it again, uh, where training programs are down and, you know, folks just aren't bringing along and it, it enhances the already difficult succession, you know, potential succession problem that, that I think a lot of us feel like there's going to be. And so our business model um, has been to bring in and train younger advisors. We bought uh, several practices and then have uh, kind of a, a process for uh, bringing in younger advisors, integrating them into a practice that, that we've bought so that then the older advisor can retire. Our theory five years ago probably uh, was that, you know, an, an advisor in his 60s probably isn't looking to sell their, they may want to retire, but they're not looking, if they haven't done the work to bring somebody along, they're not looking to sell their practice to somebody in their 20s. 
But what they would do is sell it to a team of people in their 40s who would work with somebody in their 20s. And so that's where Maximum Advisor came just kind of as an outpouring of that. I, I want to be able to, again, with seven uh, younger advisors uh, of our own, wanted to be able to continue to teach them and, and use it for them and uh, then to be able to take anything that we do there and just, and just share it out there in hopes that it would, um, that it would help other people. I, I've, uh, I wrote a really short, you know, 40 or 50 page book uh, for advisors back uh, a couple of years ago. And, and I've given it to the young advisors in my town that work for Edward Jones or Wells Fargo, uh, because I mean, there's plenty of business out there for everybody. Um, uh, my kind of life philosophy is that we're better together. And so uh, that's a big thing uh, for us. And so that's how, uh, yeah, I'm a student. And, and being a student, having listened to virtually all of you all's episodes and trying to process that, you know, I believe that the surest thing, way to make sure that you learn something well uh, or if you want to make sure that your kids are learning is to have them teach it. And so for me to learn things and then to be able to talk about, consult, and, and teach those, um, yeah, it's part of me sharpening my saw, Julie, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, Chip, you, you talk about uh, helping advisors develop a thriving practice. Um, what, what, what do you consider to be a thriving practice and how's that different from uh, the way most advisors experience their businesses? Well, my experience has been that like me, a lot of advisors, I, I call myself an accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I, I was a school teacher. I, I wasn't meant to be, I wasn't groomed to be in this business. And for a lot of us, what we did was we took a sales job. Yeah, you know, 20 years ago, sales job, we still cold call people during dinner to see how many enemies in our town we could make. And um, <laughs> over the years, the business has changed. You know, uh, the managed money platforms came out. And uh, over time, many advisors who want to grow have transitioned. Uh, <clears throat> this is not to say that you can't grow at a wirehouse. There are a lot of us with an entrepreneurial spirit that want to be able to do things that we could not do in uh, a true. We opened uh, and started Signature four years ago uh, from a regional broker dealer. So we went into the independent broker dealer space. And the reason for that was there were a lot of rules um, that weren't laws. So there were rules that, that the company wouldn't let us do and we wanted to be able to grow. And so I think that, um, you know, for me, a maximum advisor is somebody who has a growth mindset that they are looking to, uh, to grow. And they really, in a lot of cases, um, just want to be able to share ideas with other people. They believe that you're better together, that, that there's, it's an abundance mindset where there's plenty to go around. And there are kind of eight areas that, that I think kind of contribute to that. We even, we, we developed kind of a scorecard to figure out uh, where, again, we developed it initially for our own offices to be able to do a gap analysis of, of where our folks felt like they were to help them but but the eight areas are and uh and i know that this will resonate with you all is client experience 
uh, you know, where do you stand in terms of that? Is it creative? Uh, is it repeatable? Is it engaging? Um, the second is practice finances. You got to know where your money goes. And, and for a lot of folks, as we transition to independence, finances is near, there's a big difference between signing the front of a check and the back of a check. And so understanding <laughs> I love finances that. is a big deal. Um, and, and so even if you ran a branch P&L uh, at, at a regional broker dealer, if you ran a branch P&L, you could, you could run in a deficit. And where I came from, they called it uh, below the line. Well, where I am now below the line is my personal checking account. So it is, uh, it's just a different thing. And I think that that's something that for a lot of people considering independence, finances are one of the things along with compliance that they probably are concerned with the most. Can, can we go back for just a second? You started out um, as one of those eight principles you were talking about was client experience. And of course, that's something that's near and dear to, to both Julie and my heart. Um, how, how did you design your, how did you approach designing that experience? And one of the things that you talked about was also making it repeatable, which I think is really significant. So how did you, uh, how did you design it and how do you refine it? And then how, how do you make it repeatable? So for us, it, it began, I don't know, I, going on 20 years ago uh, with being students of what other people were doing. So I think back then it, it started originally kind of with um, a group called Pain Sender Brand. Uh, they, they had a group called PSB Training years ago. Um, and I, I think it was the beginning of what I attribute to Merrill as the supernova uh, program, kind of the 1241 is where we started, um, but it's it's morphed over time based on, I mean, uh, some of the influences, for example, uh, would be Duncan McPherson uh, and uh, some of the stuff from Pareto and Matt Oxley. We've tried to in integrate what we feel like are the best parts of, of all of those things uh, into something that, you know, that we can use, that we can teach, because I think that really from a, an engagement and from a client relationship standpoint, I think the most important thing is being proactive is that if we are continually communicating in a proactive fashion, our clients aren't wondering whether they're going to hear from us. They're, they're not surprised. And you know, a big thing for us is layering in multiple uh, team members. And so when a, a new client comes on board, they get a, uh, a new client welcome kit that includes a list of who their team is. And uh, so I think that's been the, the biggest thing is intentionally trying to always put ourselves in the client's shoes, asking them, doing client advisory boards, and, uh, and making sure that we ask yeah, let, let me let me come back to the uh, to the repeatable idea. I, I speak with a lot of firms, and we talk about the client experience. You know, often it's you know when we're talking about an advisory board and we're talking about getting feedback. You know, one of the comments that they make is, well, you know, it really kind of depends on the advisor. You know, so you get the 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 idea that there are the, the experience is somewhat different from advisor to advisor. That that they're, they're organized under an umbrella, but but what individual advisors are doing with their individual clients. Um, are different from advisor to advisor. So how, how do you um, develop that repeatability and then how do you um, spread that across your 10 offices? So 
under our umbrella, if you will, we have two different ways that people can work with Signature. Uh, one is uh, by adopting kind of our brand, our standards. Uh, some of the practices we own, uh, a couple of them are affiliated, but they choose to kind of do business our way. And when, then we have some practices that just affiliate because they want to be able to utilize kind of what I'll call middle office services, non-client facing uh, things. And so it's a, what we do with our signature offices is um, we have everything processed out. We have toolkits uh, that really run the gambit of how folks can uh, operate the practice, very detailed, uh, and we teach those. So, you know, a lot of our younger advisors are coming into the business. A lot of the, the younger advisors that we hire are coming into the business for the first time. So, they only know our process. And so, for all of the offices that we own, we we run them exactly the same way. There There is a, you know, a set of model portfolios. There is a uh, set client experience that we uh, insist on and, and monitor to make sure because that's how you know that the clients are being taken care of and then we provide those same things to our uh, affiliate advisors and, and to your point Steve some folks uh, kind of modify e either modify what they're doing or adopt what we're doing and others are comfortable with you know we advisors are a funny we're a funny lot and, and we can get uh, territorial and particular about um, what we do and we a lot of times uh, a lot of us feel like what we're doing is the best thing I mean we're doing the best we can and so um, you know and so our our thing is with advisors who affiliate with us uh, is not to force them I'm a big believer in freedom it's the reason that I went independent versus staying in the regional space uh, but we also think that by continually uh, meeting together we do you mentioned we were talking about virtual uh, we have an advisor call every month where senior advisors only can jump in and share ideas and, and talk with one another. And we try to integrate that into uh, our service system. So it, over time, it becomes a, a bit of the best of all worlds as, uh, as best we can make it. And I want, and I do want to make sure we get the other six areas, by the way, because I know Steve and I do this. We take people off in all these other directions, <laughs> but um, uh what do you believe when you think about client experience um, actually sets you apart or what can set an advisor apart uh, or drive deeper engagement? Because I, I imagine there are elements of process and efficiency and then things that clients actually see as, as differentiated. So I think that for an advisor, the most important thing is intention. I, I think that it, it starts with, um, developing an experience that is kind of um, you want to be efficient in the things that the client can't see and personalizing the things that they can okay. and so personalizing uh, you know so, some of your market updates and things like that those kinds of communications aren't necessarily going to be I mean that can be relatively streamlined and easy but yeah. most of the client contact needs to be personalized to them. So I, I think that the key is, again, really putting your, walking a mile in their shoes, experiencing, as I think you do, Julie, kind of coming in from the front door and what are the touch points going to be and how would I receive uh, 
any kind of, of information and what would I want the experience to be like, but more importantly, to go out uh, like Steve does and ask the clients what it is and be able to take the key areas that are important to uh, relationships and, and be able to personalize those. Big believers, for example, in, um, you know, so that I don't take credit for anybody else's stuff. Uh, you know, uh, Pareto's uh, family occupation, recreation, and money, knowing those things, that form process. Um, we are big believers in active note-taking and uh, surprise and delight. So uh, that was something I think I learned from uh, Matt Oxley and, and being able to pay attention to where people go to school, who their friends are, where they do things. And then when we respond, whether it's a, a gift or whether or it's um, a personalized contact, we're responding in the way that the client would want to, or we're paying because the most important thing that I think for anybody is they want to feel heard. Mm -hmm. And so if we'll, we'll focus on that, then um, I think that's the best way to differentiate yourself is for most, most marriages get in trouble because uh, you know, one of the partners doesn't feel heard. Most businesses break up because of poor communication. And I think that, that for us, having advisors be able to, again, I mentioned Dan Sullivan and unique ability, having advisors be able to focus only on client facing things allows them to be better listeners and to, um, and, and that's ultimately, I think what enhances the relationship and, and listening and then acting on what you hear is what, um, is what can set you apart. Yeah, thank you. So building on that, uh, what you hear, you know, tell us what, what are some of the, uh, what would you say are the top few learnings that you got uh, from your advisory board uh, since you've had one? So in our most recent advisory board, uh, one of the things that you know, they focused on uh, was our need to engage younger investors. So, a lot of our advisory board members are, um, we'll say 55 and older, and uh, they wanted us to engage uh, their kids and their grandkids. You could tell that they had a concern about, um, you know, about how they were going to handle money. I, I think that uh, the other thing, areas where they've given us uh, really good advice are on, so we have an advisor scorecard that we use, but we also, we have a client scorecard that we use to help. And, and we've had them go through that with us to give us advice on how they would receive it, changes that we need. Cause a lot of these folks are executives. Um, and, and so we really have run a lot of our uh, new service offerings by them to see really whether or not we're on the right track. You know, you can kind of get caught in your own bubble and think that what you're thinking is right, but until you take it to the people who are uh, the check writers, uh, it it really doesn't mean a whole lot what you think. It matters what they think. Yeah. So um, we're coming up on time here, Chip. So Julie and I are going to uh, maintain our unbroken record of not letting guests get to everything. Um but if you were to look can at can I at least get those eight areas? Because I, <laughs> sure. I really, I, I can't stop this conversation without knowing the other six. Oh, I'll do two things. 
uh, Julie, first I'll, I'll run through them real quick. Yeah. And then for any of your listeners that have an interest, uh, or, or for you, Julie, you can go to our website, uh, okay. maximumadvisor.com. You can do slash scorecard. Okay. And so we'll make it available that you can download oh, perfect. it. perfect. And, and we'll, we'll put that in the show notes too. Yeah. So thank you. Awesome. So the eight things then, client experience, practice finances, client acquisition, client retention, the positioning of your practice in your community, um, having a clear vision for where you're headed, your ideal client profile, and then building the ideal team. Because we think advisors work best in my partner and I've been together for 21 of my 22 years. And uh, that's the single best business decision I made as a, as a 23 year old person. And in fact, all the best business decisions that I've made have been partnerships and collaborations with people. So um, that's the eight and okay. you talked about clients. So thank you for listing all those. And um you talked about client experience probably being, you know, the, the most significant. Um, before we close up, what, what would you say is the, of those eight, uh, which one do you, would you say is the biggest game changer uh, of the ones we have not yet talked about? So I would say in the environment that we're in right now, um, I'm going to give you two, if I can cheat a little bit, it is the client retention and acquisition. I, I think that we're in a, a huge period of opportunity for people who are willing, you know, kind of the, the uh, mission impossible, the challenge, if you choose to accept it, uh, it is very applicable right now for folks who want to put in the work. I, I think that we're in a, I mean, it's easy to get a virtual meeting with a lot of people right now uh, because folks are stuck. I mean, it's easy for, for folks to get a hold of me right now. And so uh, I think that, you know, being, proactive doubling or tripling the amount of communication and content that you're putting out right now from a retention standpoint, particular, I'm a big believer that our clients ought to get our best thinking. Um, and then really using this as an opportunity to, uh, to promote yourself as different, to be forward looking. And uh, I think there's a huge client acquisition back in after the bubble, after the, finan uh, the tech bubble, after the financial crisis, and in the midst of and after this, there's going to be, there's always been uh, a huge opportunity for client acquisitions in time like these. And so to bring it back to the theme of the podcast, um, what you're talking about is getting referrals because of how you help clients get through a point like this. Is there a specific tip that you would give our listeners about how to um, remind clients or, or position yourself for referrals uh, as we're going through this difficult market? So what I would do and have done is two things. First, uh, make sure that any communication you have has some sort of call to action for your client to be able to share it and forward it. We're, again, everybody is relatively immobile. And so passing on information, people are forwarding and sharing things now at a much higher rate uh, than normal. And then the other is, you know, Mr. Rogers said, whenever time you see difficult times, look for the helpers. And I, I think that we're in a time now where offering to, to just be of service, uh, to do a, a checkup with somebody's uh, kids, friends, family, people are a lot more receptive right now, COIs, um, to us reaching out and, and just offering to help. But it, it's got to be from a true place of service. But I, I think that's a great opportunity right now. 
That's great. Well, Chip, I can't think of a better place to, to leave our conversation. It's been great to talk with you. We really appreciate you taking some time when everybody is spending all of their time calling clients and, and sharing some of your experiences on how you're coaching clients get through this. So um, thank you so much. And, and, if, and if people want to find out more about the Maximum Advisor, you mentioned the website before, but where else can they find you? Sure, they can find us on uh, anywhere that you download podcasts, iTunes, etc. cetera, uh, or you can, again, check it out at uh, MaximumAdvisor.com. Great. Thanks so much. Thanks for having Chip, me. Chip, thanks for joining us on Becoming Referrable. Take care. Hi, it's Julie again. It was great to have you with us on Becoming Referrable. If you like what you've been hearing, please do us a favor and rate us on iTunes. It really does help. You can get all the links, show notes, and other tidbits from these episodes at becomingreferrable.com. You can also get our free report, Three Referral Myths That Limit Your Growth, and connect with our blogs and other resources. Thanks so much for joining us.